When I started preparing for this, at the top of my preach was the word England. <laughs> I had to delete that. <laughs> what a shame. Hopefully 2020, okay? We can pray for that, can't we? Um, about, about a month ago, I was asked to speak at a ladies' breakfast at my sister's church. And my sister said, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? And she said, well, talk about what you've learned in the last year. And um, I said, right, okay, which I did. And when Neil talked about this morning, he said, well, what did you talk about in Leicester? And I explained. He said, well, you can talk about that then, which I think he was trying to help me out in the sense of preparation and all that stuff. But of course, what I've learned in the last year is actually quite heavy going and quite tough. But I'm going to share it with you this morning in the hope that you'll be encouraged, you'll be strengthened, you'll be inspired and equipped. Um, And just a reminder that, you know, if we wind the clock back a year, this time last year, actually, the 15th of July, I was getting ready for my husband's celebration service on the 19th of July in the King's Church in the town centre because he went to heaven on the 30th of July. And um, he started his eternal story. His physical body died, having been fighting terminal cancer for something like eight years. And um, Paul went to paradise to be with Jesus. Now, that in itself is such an amazing thing. And I'm sort of so appreciating how incredible uh, that is. And as I say that, and before you know, Paul went to heaven, I always had this sense of incredible excitement when people who know Jesus go to be with the Lord, because it's just fantastic <laughs> for them. It's fantastic. So just to illustrate the point, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, Billy Graham, who many of you will know. He also went to, to heaven to be uh, in paradise. It was February this year, just before his 100th birthday. Billy Graham, the, um, the amazing American evangelist who reached millions and pe- millions of people with the gospel, who ran quite an incredible race. So let's see uh, his quote, which he says, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. And I just think that's such a brilliant way of summing it up. And summing up the gospel, really. It's something we sing about all the time. It's something we we say often. Death has lost its sting. Where Billy is, where my Paul is, there is no better place. Where those loved ones that you've said goodbye to who know the Lord... There is no better place. I mean, it's absolutely beyond our comprehension. For those of us um, who have lost people, we often try and wonder what it's like. You know, we try and daydream or imagine. My boys often ask me, what do you think daddy's doing now? You know, and I'm like, well, he'll be partying, knowing Paul. He'll just be partying. He'll just be having a blast. Um, We do try and figure out what it's like. But the truth is, we will never really, really fathom it. And no Hollywood movie will ever even come close. Um, But when we change our address, when our physical body stops, that's when we're going to taste and see just how good the Lord is. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 sums it up well. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. For those who love him, our place is prepared. 
Um, it is quite hard for us to get our heads around, and words are often very inadequate when we try and think about that. But our experience here doesn't even come close. Even the most happiest, incredible moment we may have had in the presence of Jesus is just a glimpse of what is to come. So for that reason, I don't really mourn for those who go home. Even if they go home sooner than we might like, I just don't mourn for them. Certainly in the case with Paul, he's got a brand new body which is just fantastic because his body was totally ravaged uh, by the cancer. His physical body was uh, just awful, really, at the end. It was just a horrific thing to experience and the pain that he experienced. But that's just a temporary phase when we think about our eternal journey in his presence in paradise where we will be utterly whole. Everything, mind, body, soul, brand new, incredible body, no sickness, no pain, no anxiety, no distress. The Bible does give us an idea of what it's like. There are some descriptions, hence the word that Jesus used when he was hanging on the cross and he was talking to the criminal hanging next to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus called it. He called it paradise. So I don't mourn for those who change their address. If anything, I really celebrate. And actually, I have with Paul, sometimes I have heaven envy. I'm actually quite jealous of of where he is, especially when things are tough down here and his sons are misbehaving. Um, So uh, I don't do that. But, of course, we do mourn deeply for what we've lost. And we do grieve. And there is a bereavement process. And for that, I want to plug a course that is happening at King's Church starting in the autumn. It's called The Bereavement Journey. And I did this very course um, at the end of last year. And I did it at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. But the course we're running here at King's is the same course. Um, And it was just a fantastic way of really processing and discussing and chewing and, and working through lots of things that do come up and crop up as a consequence of bereavement. So I would really recommend it for anyone you may know, or even if it might be for you. And it's, it's, it is about bereavement, but it can be uh, not necessarily uh, your partner or child or parents or whatever. I mean, it can be a really, it could be a friend or it could even be one guy on my, in my group that's run similar to Alpha, so you're in groups for discussions. He was there because he, he had to close down his, his, a, a company that was his father's business that he'd inherited, and um, his father died many years before, but it was only when he closed down the family business that actually all this stuff sort of came up, and it's funny how bereavement can sometimes bring up all sorts of stuff <laughs> that you've perhaps pushed down or tried to avoid. So I'd really recommend that. It's a great course to do, and it might be someone that you know that you feel should come along, and it's for Christians or non-Christians. It's relevant for everybody in the same way that Alpha is as well. So how does this eternal perspective challenge us in the here and now on earth 
in a fallen world. For those of us who haven't changed our address, Matthew 6 verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So whilst we are here, before we start our eternal story in paradise, we're challenged, where is our treasure? What are we storing up where and why? Uh, Are we focused heavenwards? Um, If so, is that where your treasure is? That's what we're challenged to do. And if we look at Hebrews 12, verse 1, it takes it a step further. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're called to think heavenwards. We're called to run our race. We're called to keep going for it whilst we're here before we change our address. Who is the great cloud of witnesses? Well, Hebrews 11 lists a whole load of Bible greats, many of whom ran their race but often stumbled and fall. If you look at David and many of them on the list, we've got Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, Moses, they're all there. But you can add to that Billy Graham. I can add to that Paul. We can add to that people that we've known and we've loved, who we've said goodbye to, who've ran their race. So the word is clear. It says, throw off everything that hinders. If our focus is in storing up treasure in heaven, then we're encouraged to run our race with perseverance and throwing off everything. So what hinders you? I'm sure things spring to mind straight away, don't they? We could write quite a long list. For me, I think number one is probably tiredness, as far as I'm concerned. I work very weird shifts. I have tons going on in my world. And if I'm tired, I'm, I'm just horrendous. If I'm really tired, I'm just beyond horrendous. And that's not what God would want us to be. I mean, it's not a blessing to anyone, is it? So tiredness is a hindrance for me. I have to throw it off. I have to be quite... Uh, active about making sure I don't get overtired. And that means sometimes I have to give up things I want to do, social things, people who ask me out for dinner or invite me around or whatever on a weeknight when I've got to get up at 2 o'clock the next morning to go to work. I say no, and I'd much rather go out for dinner, especially being at home the only person above the age of 12. You know, sometimes I go through my whole day and I don't talk to anyone above the age of 12, and I'm gagging for a bit of adult company, but I've got to go to bed, you know? So God's clear. Throw off, be active, be aggressive about what you do to get rid of the things that hinder you. Busyness is a, is a close second for me. I can be unbelievably busy. And again, that is a massive hindrance. And it means I'm not the person God's calling me to be. I'm actually running around like a lunatic with tons of things spinning on plates that could crash any moment and I'm stressed out and I'm just not the person God has called me to be. There may be other issues that that many of you here may think hinder you. Stress, lack, sickness, age maybe. Maybe you feel that's a hindrance. Your status maybe. I'm a widow, that's a status update. 
could be a hindrance for me. Um, disappointment, regret, past experience, doubt, fear. I mean, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But also, I believe we need to be really active in our race in the sense that we choose to throw off everything that hinders, not just the easy things, the obvious things, the things we want to give up. It says everything. And there might be things that are really tough and are really difficult. Or there might be things that we've got our treasure in that actually hinder our walk with the Lord. And it might be a question of the Holy Spirit having to prompt you to give up those things. Or maybe you know what they are, actually. Um, Maybe you need help. Maybe we need help sometimes. Sometimes we can't do this by ourselves. But the Bible just says, clearly, throw off everything that hinders so that you can run your race with perseverance. So how do we do that when things can be so tough? When things don't really go the way we plan, things can be really confusing, like losing Paul. I mean, that was not the game plan, as many of you are very aware, because over the eight-year period when he was so sick, many of you would say, how's he doing? What's the latest? And we, Paul and I, were on the same sort of page, you know, confessing with our mouth. Yes, it's this, it's that, that's what the doctors say, but the Bible says, you know, by your stripes we are healed, and we're just walking in that faith and belief. And actually, wherever we went, whoever we were talking to, whether it be my colleagues at the BBC or in the schoolyard or family or friends or church, it was the same conversation with all these people. So how do we run our race? How do we continue to run with all our fervency and heart and desire when things take place that confuse or disappoint or totally take us at the knees. Well, Hebrews tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author. It starts with him. But he's also the perfecter. He doesn't leave us at that point. He continues with us. He runs with us. He's with us in the race, assuming we choose to stay with him. Sometimes we run away. But actually, he's with us in every single moment. The good, the bad, the ugly. He's always there looking to run, to cheer you on, to equip you, to enable you. And that is very simple, isn't it? And we think, "Mm, is it really that simple? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Yes, I can tell you it is from my experience. It's that simple. It isn't complicated. We get in the presence and we fix our eyes on him. And how brilliant is that? To have something so simple. To not have a book to read with 50 steps. Six months before Paul went to heaven, a lovely person in the church came up to me. She gave me a massive hug. And she said, I just believe God's saying... You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and she actually started to apologize for how simple her word was or given my, our circumstances. And I just, I just received it. It was just God's word to me. It went straight into my heart. And I thought, I know that's what I have to do. Because if I see him, if I'm looking to him, the circumstances are so, so different in what you're seeing and what you're doing and what you're hearing and how you're walking. With our eyes fixed on him and not on our circumstances, we can run our race with perseverance. It doesn't mean the run is easy. Um, I think of our race as like running a marathon, really. Um, I've never ran a marathon, and I have no intention of doing so. 
Many of my colleagues at the BBC, as you know, are really into it. And um, I'm not going to do it. But uh, a friend of mine, my flatmate before I got married, she ran the London Marathon about three or four times. And Paul and I were her posse with other people with banners. And we went round London and we kind of cheered her on. And around about the sort of 18, 19 mile is the place where you really need to be to cheer people on. Because that's the point where they're starting to think, why am I doing this? You know, the pain and the, the stress and the feeling and whatever. And they know they still have quite a way to go. And so we were there at that point. Um, when we run our race, there's going to be times when we're sprinting. There's times when we're coasting. There's times when we might be in that 18th mile. We're thinking, why on earth am I running this race anyway? This is just so hard. There's going to be times when we're limping. And there's times because we're injured. And there's times when we're carried and I think the important thing about this is you need people around you if you're going to run this race with perseverance because there's times when you need the crowd to cheer you on. You need the crowd to be there to help you, to lift you up, to patch you up, to carry you. You can't do this in isolation. You can't do this alone effectively anyway. Fix your eyes on Jesus and have people around you. Rich, what time do you need me to finish, by the way? I didn't check. No, no, no. But what time does... So, 25 to 2. Okay, fine. So um, let me give you an example of how Jesus did this. He modeled this. When he needed time with the Father he, to refine his focus, what the Gospels called a solitary place, he would go on a regular basis. One example is when... Uh, he heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Matthew 14, 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. This news would have really hurt Jesus. These two were really, really close. They had a special bond. When Elizabeth was carrying John, Mary, who was carrying Jesus, got together and the two leapt in the womb. They were cousins they were buddies, they grew up together, they were friends, they were extremely close. John was the one that took the risk, who proclaimed to everyone listening that Jesus was coming. John was the one that knew Jesus was the Messiah. John had that incredible, special, amazing moment when he baptized Jesus. They had a really special friendship. So when Jesus heard that John had been beheaded, Jesus would have hurt extremely deeply. Jesus knows bereavement, and he knows that pain. He knows that hurt. That was not the ending for John's life that Jesus would have wanted or anyone would have wanted. The enemy looks like he's had a victory. A life has been snuffed out. So Jesus goes to be with the Lord. He pleased to, goes to be with his heavenly Father. He has time in that solitary place. And then as you read further down in Matthew 14, it tells you what happens when he's ready to go back to be with his disciples. He goes back to be with his disciples. And hey, presto, there's a crowd of thousands there. They've figured out where he is. They've all gone there to see him. To, they want him. They want time with him. They want what he has to give to them. You know what? Jesus is ready. He's ready. 
He's refilled. He's recharged. He's refocused. He's had time with the Father. He's fixed his eyes. He's got all he needs to advance the kingdom, to turn that moment to a moment where God's name is glorified. This is where the 5,000 are fed miraculously by fish and bread and healings, I'm sure. God's kingdom was was advanced. His name was vindicated. This is what happens in those moments, in those solitary moments, when you choose to be with the Lord. We have to learn to do the same. In the times and the seasons that are really tough, like your word that you're reading out about suffering, those are the times when you meet with the Lord in a way you'll never meet with him in other seasons. He will teach you stuff. He will refine you. He will change you. He will mature you in a way that he will not do when everything's hunky-dory and everything's, you know, going to plan. You will learn stuff about who you are and who you're called to be and who Jesus has made you to be when you spend that time with him and you're raw and you're saying, I don't get this. I'm hurting. I'm painful. I'm wounded. And he's there. He's your father. He can handle anything. He's the one to lay all that on. He's the one to just get it all out there with. He's the one that can cope with it. He wants you there. He wants you in that place so that he can put you back together again. And your circumstances might not change, but you change. You have changed. It's so important when we learn these things in the moments with our Father that we will never learn in another season. And if you choose not to go there, that restorative, miraculous process that happens in his presence may not happen. And you may miss it. And you may not be running your race in the strength that he can give you because you're not getting what you need from him. If you choose to wallow in your pain, if you choose to deaden it, if you choose to be busy and ignore it, if you choose to be in denial, if you choose to not go there and run away, then you might miss it. You might miss what God has for you in those moments. Because in those moments, you change, and God restores you, and he just, it's just incredible. And then when you go back to the crowd, you're ready. You've got what you need. You've got what you need in order to keep going. I would do that. Obviously, I still do that. I just spend time in his presence. There were times when I just couldn't pray, and I didn't pray. There was a period of time I didn't ask God for anything because I was just so disappointed. But he was just so gracious and loving, and I was in his presence and being refilled and recharged and loved and cared for, his kindness. He is our counselor. They say time is a great healer. Don't agree with that at all, but Jesus is a healer. You know, Jesus is our healer. And it is a race for life, to steal a phrase from cancer research. (laughs) Um, It is a race for life. And we can do it well by fixing our eyes on Jesus, or we can struggle and we can find it hard. A few things that God shared with me whilst I was in his presence, one was about the scars, which really spoke to me. We were at church on Sunday morning. It's a Sunday morning after Easter Sunday, and they were preaching about when Jesus had resurrected, and he came, he came into the room where all the disciples were gathered, and how Thomas was there, and Thomas was having to see Jesus' scars in order to believe that Jesus had really raised 
from the dead and the miracle that Mary and others had been telling them about actually happened. And it really hit me that Sunday morning, whoa, Jesus has scars still. Because I think of him as this perfect being, you know, without anything wrong with him. But it, I, I was like, yeah, Jesus, you have those scars in the hands, in the feet, in the side, the back. He has those scars, but they don't hurt anymore. And that's how we should be with our scars. If we get into his presence, if we truly seek his face, if we truly allow him to do his work in our lives, the scars won't go away, but they don't hurt. They shouldn't hurt. Now, we might need help with that. We might not be able to do that by ourselves. Um, But that's something God really spoke to me about. The other thing as well, he talked about the fact that he has so got this. Because you think about all the things that, you know, you have to consider. Three children, um, all the stuff that has to be done. Um, It's just, just, it's endless, really, to be honest. But God was so clear, even before, whilst Paul was so ill, I have got this. I have got this. Every single detail from beginning to end. And when Mary and John, Jesus' mum, and the one that Jesus loved, are opposite the cross, and looking at the cross, and seeing Jesus hanging there on the cross, Jesus looked at them and said, John, this is your mother. Um, Mary, this is your son. They were looking at him. They were fixing their eyes on him in all the distress and confusion and the craziness of this moment that they probably so totally didn't understand. And yet Jesus was saying, I've got this. I've got you. I've got where you're going. I'm here. This will not define you. This loss will not define you because I've got this. And I will turn it into something amazing, something incredible, something beyond our imagination, something beyond what we could comprehend, because he's got this. And I know that in our situation, God's name is being glorified all the time. The boys are doing so well. They're brilliant. They drive me mad. They're very disobedient as well. But hey, that's partly because bad cop is in paradise. (laughs) So that's a real challenge for me, and I'm having to turn into something else. But God's got it. That's the point. Do you know what I mean? And feel free to tell them off anytime. Um, the other thing as well was adventure. I was very... Paul, my husband, was a really strong, big guy, just could do anything, fix anything, anything that went wrong. We're on holiday, any adventure we did, any crazy sport or activity, he was just there. And I just totally had security in that. And God really spoke to me about the fact that he is there always to rescue, that I must not hold back from adventure or who I am because I'm scared of what might happen or what might go wrong or what might break. Does that make sense? Because I had scaled back what I was doing. I'd scaled back my risk-taking. I'm not, very risk- I'm not a big risk-taker anyway, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sort of jump off a building. But, you know, I wasn't being me anymore. I was being someone that was worried and fearful. And God really spoke to me clearly about that. Be who you are. (laughs) Because that's, you know, who I've created you to be. And I'm your God, your father. So Paul, 
also found being in the presence of his father, his savior, his healer, transforming, especially when his body was so sick. And I found this prayer that Paul wrote, and I found it when I was sorting through his things after he went to heaven. And this is the prayer of someone who went to the solitary place to be with the Lord. And Paul's circumstances didn't change, but he changed. I'm going to end by reading out this prayer. It's called thankfulness. He called it thankfulness. Lord, I thank you that you're giving me more than I can contain. Thank you that this trial will not make me bitter, but I'm going to become better. I thank you that even though I'm cast down, I'm not cast out, because you are the glory and the lifter of my head. I know that you are leading me to the greatest opportunity I will ever face in this life. Lord, I may be in a valley, but you are the light of the world. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. I know you've given me victory because I am yours and you are mine. Lord, I thank you. Amen.